Welcome to Feline Lucky, the Money Cat podcast. This episode is an extended interview with someone. I like to do these every few episodes just to break down something in more detail, get some expertise from someone, and just learn something new. As usual, if you enjoy this, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media at Money Cat Loves You. All right, welcome to Feline Lucky, the Money Cat podcast. Today I've got Ty on here, Ty Arnett. Tell me about yourself, Ty. Hey, that's me. No way. Uh, tell me about myself. Okay, so uh, in the context of what we're talking about today being business, um, I uh, dropped out of high school at the age of 16. Uh, folks were super stoked about that to teach martial arts full-time. Um, as soon The day after I turned 18, I turned 18 on a, a Sunday. So the day after I was able to register my own business and uh, a martial arts studio, owned a couple of those, ended up just doing the great 20-something-year-old business owner thing of you know, too hard, too fast, being stoked and proud that I was working eight hours a week and being inefficient um, and uh, burnt out. Literally ran away to the army. Uh, that was my runaway to the circus moment. That was my get out. This business owning thing is just too intense for me. I, I, I just wanted to get rid of res- all responsibility. The army is a good place for that. Mate, basic training, everyone complaining that they were told when to sleep and when to shit. I loved it. I was like, yes, I make zero decisions. This is perfect. Uh, did my time there, discovered CrossFit, uh, got out and opened a CrossFit gym and uh, it, it was amazing. I, I was in love with it. Um, went from that to owning six of those uh, in full or in part uh, and then became a business coach for CrossFit gyms and did that full time for seven years. Uh, Travelled to 56 countries, worked with a couple of thousand gym owners and um, had, a, had the time of my life with that. And uh, once that had run its course and I wanted to spend more time at home with my family and and um, do something where I didn't have to be, you know, the big meanie telling people what was wrong with their lives. Um, I decided on photography, which is what I've been doing since uh, I made the decision to switch nine days before the pandemic hit. Um, a global pandemic wasn't part of my risk assessment when I walked <laughs> away from a, a cash cow like a business coaching business. But um, and uh, yes, yeah, so now I'm a, uh, a photographer and. Uh, is our studio and that's what I do and today we're going to try and dust off some cobwebs and talk about uh, the business of running a gym I guess. Yeah so what I wanted to focus on with the business of running a gym and the business of being in the fitness industry is that there's a lot of operators, there's a lot of different models, everyone in the world's a PT because the barrier to entries are so low but the pyramid seems extremely steep, the pyramid of success in that there's a lot of PTs with six clients and not many with 10,000. Yes. Um, so I wanted to delve into like, how do you run a gym or be a PT successfully? Yeah. Um, and when I say successfully, I don't mean the biggest, I mean the best. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the problem is, um, well, let, let's jump straight into the segments, right? Part of the problem is, yeah, the, the barrier to entry is way too low. Like even if you're talking, if you want to open a, a big globo gym, you're going to need you know, $250,000 maybe if you can do it on the cheap, you know. But a CrossFit gym or a small PT studio, yeah, we've opened them with $30,000 or less. Um, you know, getting, getting your Cert 3, Cert 4, you, you don't even need to do that. You know, if you're teaching something like CrossFit or strength and conditioning, you can do, uh, in Australia, there's shorter courses, two-day courses that you can do, and all of a sudden, congratulations, you've got a coach T-shirt on. And, uh, you know, so that, a couple of investors, a little bit of financing, and uh, boom, you've got yourself a business, good luck. And that that's part of the problem. Um too many people are told that they should do it. Um, just because you've got clients that love you and tell you that you should go out on your own doesn't mean you should. Um, and then also it's a 
disgusting industry. It's it's a um, exploitative industry, right? Unfortunately, in the classic gym model, the only way for for Globo gyms to really make money, their margins are quite low. So the only real way to make money is to exploit their trainers, especially their junior trainers. So anyone who's been a PT in a in a Globo gym, you know, all of those free PTs that you got to give out as part of your contract, and then the rent you've got to pay, and all this stuff. So it's you know it's similar to hairdressing. There's a, there's a, a notion in hairdressing that if you ever want to make money as a hairdresser, you've got to open a salon because you're never going to make money as a hairdresser. Now that's that's a wrong notion. Um, it's common, but doesn't mean it's right. Uh, so it's the same thing. You get a lot of these PTs who think the only way to make money uh, instead of becoming the best PT they can, they they take the easy road. They think to opening a gym, and um, yeah, the. The problem is everyone wants to go into a saturated market and do what everyone else in that saturated market is doing. So the first thing I say to people is find your niche and then niche within the niche. Stand out within the niche. You know, if the niche is your category and subcategory, then what is your segment within that? Are you budget? Are you standard? Are you premium? Are you ultra premium? Um, Life is always easier at the premium level. The problem is the responsibility is there. You know, you have to wake up every morning and go, shit, I am the most expensive PT on the Gold Coast. I am the most expensive gym in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I, I have to get up. It's a lot easier to get up and go, eh, you know, I'm charging roughly what everyone else is charging, so the pressure's not really on. Mm. You know, if I'm, if I'm late to class, I'm late to class. So that, that's the first thing is the barrier of entry is way too low. Uh, too many people are convinced to do it when they shouldn't. Um, uh, you know, being a business owner is, you know, it's 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 borderline a mental illness. You, you've got to be a little bit off in the head to keep coming back and doing this for decades. Um, it's not for everyone at all. And then, uh, yeah, too many people jump in and, and they just get lost in the crowd. Yeah, and I think especially with fitness and modern fitness, it's so um, image-driven that, there's not actually a lot of business being discussed. There's not a lot of health being discussed in the fitness industry. Um, and if, if you think owning your own gym or going out on your own is the mechanism to get a G-Wagon, it, I mean, you can, I mean, you can get one easily, but it won't be a very good idea. So I, I think I see a lot of trainers who sort of get caught on the hedonic treadmill of they like, I've got a sick car, I've got a sick truck, my brand looks great, I get photo shoots every second week. But what are you doing this for? Yep. Who are like, you helping? Like, do you... If you just want to look cool and that's your thing, that's fine. But a lot of people fall into it by default. Like, why Why do you do this, I think? Yeah, absolutely. And and look, if you're not in it to change people's lives, if you don't tear up when a member comes to you and tells you that they, they've, you know, gotten off antidepressants because fitness has helped them, you know, that, that, uh, that they're excited because you know, they're, they're about to be a grandparent for the first time and they know that they'll be around to see their grandkid because you've helped them with their lifestyle and their health. If, if, if that doesn't mean anything to you, just, you know, jump on your bike. You know, go go fucking flip Bitcoin and dump and pump. And, and you know, you're not in it for the right reasons. If you want to open a gym because you love fitness, you're not in it for the right reasons. You love working out, cool, go to a gym. You know, um, I always laugh when uh, gym owners want to say, you know, I, I, I want to open a gym because then I'll be able to train during the middle of the day. Like, cool, man. Yeah. If you're lucky, you might be able to do like Tabata burpees. You might fit that in two days a week. Your ass is going to be so busy running this thing that uh, for at least the first year, you're not working out. So you don't do it because you want to 
have that title. I own a gym. Oh, who owns this gym? Ty owns this gym. Damn, have you seen his G wagon? Yeah. You don't do it for the image if that's what you're. And, and unfortunately, we live on the Gold Coast where most people do most things for the image. Yeah. Um, you need to do it because you are you are passionate, you are invested, and you are willing to get exactly what you deserve. Yeah, yeah, and I think what this applies to all business is if you. I just want to phrase this carefully. If you open a gym because you like training, the skill set to own a business versus the specified skill set of, say, strength training are two disparate, separate skills. Some people may be good at both, but they don't naturally apply. So moving from a trainer to a business owner is a different skill set that you need to be mindful that there's not much crossover. And if you love training people, you're going to hate accounting. Yeah. Most likely. Yep. You... um. You open a business because you love business. Simple as that. If you don't love business, don't open a business. Yeah. And that sounds like such a ridiculous thing to say, but you know the, the amount of people, you know, I'd have a seminar, we'd have, you know, a hundred odd people and I'd say, who here loves business? Like you read business books, not because you have to, but because you want to. You know, you follow podcasts, you do all of that. You, you, you get uh, a... a uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find a nicer way of saying a mental hard-on for business. But, yeah. you know, you, you're so into it. Maybe like 5%, yeah. maybe, would put their hand up. I mean, well, what are you doing? Be a coach. By the way, it's not easy to become a six-figure coach. But no. you can if you really want to. Um, more and more, to be honest, as there's more successful gyms, there's, there's more positions open for head coaches and stuff like that. Um, but if you don't love business, man, don't do it to yourself. Please. Don't do it to yourself. No. I've had on, I don't know, maybe four or five occasions, I've had people I've coached and we, we, we used to do three-day coaching set one-on-ones and we'd sit down and uh, on a couple of occasions at the end of day one, I've had to say my recommendation is that you don't move ahead. Uh, if they had a gym, I'd say my recommendation is you close or sell or if they were opening, I'd say my recommendation is you don't open and I'll refund you my fee. Yeah. Um, I don't want to take your money. I'm going to get on a plane and go back and see my family because neither of us need to be doing this. Yeah. Um, it's not for everyone. No. You know, um, yeah. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that point, but I also want to keep things really concise. Mm. If you come into a gym, you're the, the Gordon Ramsay of gyms. You come in, someone's like, my gym's failing. What am I doing wrong? What are the things you look for? Uh, number one is you. Number yep. one is the owner. All right. Wasn't ready for that. So, so okay. we're, we're, we're in a culture the gyms we're talking about, right? Um, and, and any service-based business, right? There's a culture aspect to it, some more than others. You know, a large global gym where people go in with their headphones and train by themselves, culture matters a lot less. Um, but a jiu-jitsu school, a, a CrossFit gym, you know, these kind of dance school, pole schools, you know, culture matters more than anything. It matters more than results, for God's sakes. You know, people go obsess over their programming uh, or over the technique, you go, who gives a shit? What's the culture like? Um, and uh, it's top down. You know, if there's a problem with the culture, it, then there's a problem with the owner. You know, that's, um, and, and, and that problem is either caused by the owner or it's allowed to happen by the owner, right? It's, it's either through their direct actions or their inaction, right? So the, the problem might actually be one of the coaches, but it's the owner's responsibility to, to maintain that culture. So, um, yeah, nine times out of ten when there's uh, I go into a gym that's not performing, um, we start with culture. What's the culture in this place? Is it even intentful? Mm. Well, it's probably a word. Um, 
a lot of places it's all organic and organic is great but you know cyanide's organic yeah. really you know like organic can turn toxic really really quick so um just because the culture organically grew for the first six months doesn't mean that it's going to continue in that positive direction you have to as the leader you have to grab it by the balls and, and give it direction absolutely and i think with you're spot on with culture this is the same thing you see with startups and small businesses as they scale up there's a certain number which i, I don't know what the number is you can manage say 10 or 12 people yourself and the organic culture just through your individual relationships but there comes a point when humans naturally start fragmenting into subcultures within you. you see it in gyms all the time and this isn't to say it's a bad thing it's just what happens but as the owner of a business or a gym or anything you have to drive that culture from the top once you've got more than 10 people in there yeah. because they people all have their own agendas and this isn't malice on anyone's part most of the time but someone has to guide this process. It's like a garden, right? You want a nice garden. I don't know why I'm using a garden metaphor. I don't, literally don't care. You're but, in it, go deep. <laughs> but you need to prune it and keep it, keep it in line and shape it to what you want. So it's, it's so important to drive culture in organizations and small businesses and especially gyms. Yeah. Um, and if, if you want to be the hard-ass gym where everyone are hard-asses and we just do hard-ass stuff all the time, that's all right. But you'll attract hard-asses. But if you want to be the family gym where people come in, they can leave their kids in the corner, you need to drive that. But it's difficult. You can't be everything to everyone. So the you know, culture is so – it's such a hard thing. You know, it just slips through your fingers. It's so ephemeral. You can't kind of – you can't grasp it. You can't measure it. Uh, what you can measure is systematization. You know, okay, like you said – Culture can be maintained by one person when that one person is interacting with everybody affected by the culture. But as soon as you become removed from that, you start hiring cult coaches, uh, you need to, number one, define that culture and then you need to reinforce it with systems, right? So if, if the culture, uh, you know, we were talking about before at, um, at your jiu-jitsu school where if there's a new person walks in, everybody has to go and say hello to that new person, right? It's, it's intimidating, it's scary, let's make them feel welcome. Um, Culturally, that can just be something that we do. We've always done. People learn it by observing it, and that's it. Or we can systematize it. You know, in the welcome pack, we say, "Hey, here's the ten things that we do," and or making sure that the coaches know, "Hey, there's a new person. Tell everybody." Like, there's some sort of reinforcement to that. Yeah. Um, and if you don't define your culture, then as you grow, all the other shareholders will. Your your members, your coaches, everybody, and then. You'll turn up one day and you'll have this big gym that you hate yeah. because it's it's become something. And in CrossFit, you see this a lot. You know, there's kind of two worlds of CrossFit. There's the CrossFit, CrossFit, right? Normal people, you know, the, the normal CrossFitter is a 35 to 45-year-old mum, right? That's statistically worldwide. That's the average CrossFitter, not, you know, the Matt Frazers and these badasses you see on TV. So there's the, the, the gym experience and then there's the competitive experience. If you don't, define and then manage through systems your culture uh every single gym i've ever seen ends up being that competitive you know toxic elitist environment uh and the owner's got no one to blame but themselves yeah and the the competitors and this isn't a slight at competitors by any means yeah, the the <laughs> <laughs> but the mindset you that. have to have to be a competitor at a high level yes is conducive with pushing and driving yep so you're not going to get a group of competitors who just go with the flow. No. So if you don't 
manage the culture. And this, this applies to like alpha dog personalities in organizations as well, not just athletes. Yep. But, you know, you can have the commercial equivalent of athletes. If you don't manage them under a tight rein, mm-hmm. again, not being a dictator, but just keeping tabs on it, it will become, they will push the culture. They yes. will push your agenda yep. unless you run the agenda as the owner. Yeah. Once you've defined your culture, you, you then cross-reference your culture with their needs. And sometimes there's, there's a clash that can't be worked out. And that's when you say, okay, this gym down the road is a place for you to go. I'm, I'm okay losing 15 people who don't align with my culture. You know, it, it's, it's identical to you have a, a, you know, a yoga studio and someone comes in and says, but we want to learn soccer. Well, no, that's not what we do. That that is as removed as well. I have a CrossFit gym. Oh, but we only want to train to compete. We want to train by ourselves of our own programming. It's the same thing in jujitsu. We just want to be, you know, we're only our only interest is the Pan Ams, and we're going to rip each other's heads off every single day. Well, that doesn't align with our day to day classes. It's like it's like when you go into a studio, a yoga studio, and say that you're pro vaccination. Like a lot of the time, you just won't won't fit in there and you'll have to go somewhere else you can get your ass beat in a yoga studio <laughs> they go from from namaste <laughs> yeah. to kicking your head in Doesn't real quick seem relaxed uh, but moving jokes through, people yeah. jokes just, calm down uh, but moving through um what are some of the other issues you see in it let's look at like a like a smallish gym you know maybe 100 sub 100 members crossfitty type thing yes so um uh if, if we kind of take a step back from the owner because we could drill into the, how the owner is ruining their business all day um one of the biggest ones is um, they treat their service like a commodity. And, you know, the benefit of – I've been almost exclusively uh, running service business, uh, service-driven businesses for 20 years. Um, I, I've stayed away mostly from product-driven businesses because I, I, I know the service industry. I know dealing with people and, and selling that. Um, the problem is if you – commoditize your service right so let's let's get away from crossfit gyms and all this let's just say you're a pt because i'm sure there's a lot more of those out there that are going to listen you're a pt if what you offer is oh i will give you a program and get you fit well that's a product and everybody else has that same product you know what i mean and oh but mine's better i have this secret source programming well cool but also how long until your clients actually see the results of that secret source and how many will stick around long enough and you know you only have control over parts of their life, blah, blah, blah. If you're, this is going to sound silly, but if you're in a service business, serve people. Look at the whole experience. Start from your first point of contact, the first point where you've not even connected with them yet. They've connected with you or your brand, right? So, you know, your, your Instagram, your website, your blah, 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 or one of your members who's out and about. And then go all the way through from you know, when they inquire to how you're going to sign them up, how you're going to onboard them to your service, your, your daily and weekly training, um, and then uh, right through to holds, cancellations, and deaths. Right? Yeah. That whole experience, break it down bit by bit and ask, how, how do I make this service mind-blowing? Right? I'm, I'm, I've put myself in the premium segment of my market, which, by the way, in a service market, if you're not interested in being premium, probably, probably pack it in. You know, most of these things, especially in the fitness industry, are so saturated as a niche that you have to niche down further and go, well, okay, you know, yes, the PT market is saturated. More specifically, the shitty PT market is saturated. The premium PT market, there might only be three or four of those people on the whole of the Gold Coast. 
you know, they're the ones that are charging $500 an hour. Um, so put yourself into that segment that makes you stand out and then back it up with a service from, like I said, the day that they connect with your brand through to the day that they hold, cancel or die. Um, and understand that your training is a, a minute part of that. Um, and your brand, your personality, your um, image is way less a part of that. So stop obsessing over that and uh, maybe don't buy that G-Wagon. Yeah. So there's, there's actually a couple of things I wanted to unpack and talk about in there. One is that it, I don't know who needs to hear this, but personal training is a premium offering even at a cheap level. Yes. Because in the eyes of an average person who hasn't doesn't think about fitness 24-7 – spending 65 to $85 for one hour to be trained by someone when you're not an athlete is a premium thing. So they're going, going to see your trainer is sort of like the fitness equivalent of the day spa. It's so you need to offer that. And when people leave, it's because like the first thing that goes, if you have to cut something back is your PT. Because when you're given between that and paying your phone bill, you're going to cut your PT. So your whole offering, you have to be like, people aren't necessarily going to train with me. They're going because they like me and they feel like they're getting something out of it. And the same with a lot of service businesses is you end up being the psychologist mm. half the time as well. Um, and it, some people are results driven. And yes, you have to give results if you're PTing, but they're not all but results. That's, that's also a given. Yeah. That, yeah. Sh- that shouldn't the be benchmark. what you stand up and go, we get results. Yeah. Yeah, of course you do. It's like, that's a water, the whole point. it's like a water company going, we hydrate you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Like I'm on. And the, the second, the second thing I wanted to chat about, which you brought up, there were there's three things. The second thing is when you said it's not all about image. Yeah. So one thing I see generally in business with a lot of people um, when they're starting is they will obsess over their brand initially and they waste so much time, energy and money on their brand. And ultimately, when you start a business, you don't know what your brand's going to be when you start it. So you just have to start with something. And it probably won't be great, but that's okay. Because some brand is better than no brand. So this is a general piece of advice for starting any business. Get something that's not terrible and start there. Yep. Um, and the third point I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up that you'd mentioned is about um, people have a lot of chat to their friends and things like that. It was like this cheesy thing we had in banking called ask for a referral. Mm. Um, and when you're confident with your product, if you go to one of your clients and be like, hey, I want to take a few more people on. Is there anyone you know who you think like I'd be able to help? If they're happy with you, they'll be like, oh yeah, actually Steve wants to rehab his knee. Um, and referred customers and existing customers are the cheapest customers you'll ever get. 100%. It's um, so... To, to, to go back to image, I'll get to referrals because, man, that's, it's, it's the biggest. It's, um, it's the last subject that we cover with gyms, but it's the biggest subject. Um, I'll explain why. But anyway, back to image, back to branding and all that kind of stuff. Your, your brand, that's what people say when you're not around. It's not your logo. It's, no one gives a shit that, oh, wow, they, they're using a sensory font. Ooh. Oh, look at that color combo. Damn. You know, oh, he's, he's always posting videos of himself in, in the brand new Mercedes. Ooh. That means naught compared to someone going home, turning up to a, a PT session or a class, feeling like shit, and then walking out feeling seen, heard, and valued. 
you know, walking out feeling like, oh, man, I don't even know what movements we did yeah. today. But holy shit, I just, they looked me in the eye and listened when I talked. And when I had a concern, they, they didn't blow it off. They didn't just say push through it. They, they actually care about me. They give a, f you can't fake giving a fuck about people. That's your brand. And all the other shiny shit, maybe that'll help with, with a very small percentage of people coming towards you. By the way, anyone who's attracted to shiny shit is probably not the client that you want for something like this in the first place. So your brand is you know, service the hell out of your members, right? There's a, there's a saying in, um, in hospitality, lick them to death, right? Now, now, don't <laughs> actually lick your clients. What you, possible saying in hospitality is that? What, what hospitality? I've heard it a few times. Where? Uh, yeah, uh, mostly in courtrooms when people are defending themselves. Um, right. No, yeah, you know, lick them to death. You know, um, over-service your clients yeah. um, in such a positive way. Um, I, I, I hate that we have to Just the most put that out there. But cat-like theme possible, yeah, Exactly, right? but um, please don't lick your clients, guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, service them to the point where what they say about you when you're not around that's your brand. Uh, and, and that kind of leads nicely into referrals. Um, in a business like this, in any service-related business, you are built on referrals. And I love that. Um, I'm a big fan of you get what you deserve. You, you put the right effort into the right place, you get good results. If you don't, you're fucked. Welcome to owning your own business. Um, there is no other, there's no better example of that than referrals, right? They are the canary down the mine. One of the first things I do did, it's a, uh, it's a past life, having flashbacks. One of the, the first things I, I used to do with um, gyms is I'd say, I need to see your referrals. You know, I, don't just tell me because people, you know, again, what, what they see and feel is different to, than the data. Show me the data on your referrals because that's the canary down the mine of how happy your members are. You get no referrals, your members aren't happy. It's as simple as that. Um, and, you know, we can get into... You know, referrals are seven times cheaper and stay 10 times longer. And, you know, there's, there's all these, these other like quantitative reasons why you want referrals. But more than anything, it is the ultimate feedback that you are doing the job well. Um, so it, it was, we built all of our martial arts schools, all of our gyms, every, uh, all of our business coaching was all built on referrals. Very little advertising, lots and lots and lots of referrals. But, um, without getting too deep, you don't just sit back and cross your fingers and say, I did a really good job today. Hopefully someone turns up. You've got to facilitate the referrals, right? You have to, like you said in banking, you've got to ask for them. And then you've got to look at, okay, what does what does a referral look like in real life? And how do I make that process easier? You know, Absolutely. someone going into work and going, yeah, yeah, I really like the training I'm getting. And uh, Bob asked me if I had any friends and, and I've got a friend. How do I do this? Make that part easy, the execution of it, right? It's something that I do now um, where as a photographer now and um, my photography, for, for those who don't know, which is everyone because I'm no one, is uh, predominantly around uh, fitness, glamour. Um, it, it's almost exclusively, you know, 20 to 30-something-year-old women, right? Could not be further from who I am, who my client is. So advertising is not going to work for me because I can't be authentic and speak their language. It's two different things, right? Um, so if I give really great service to the people I work with and then give them the incentive and the, the executionable um, uh, you know, apparatus, I guess, uh, without getting into it, of how to actually refer people, 
Um, that's that's how I get all of my bookings now, right? I let the people do the selling yes. who understand the people I'm trying to sell to. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Ian. I say like be undeniable about it. Yes. So you, when you're asking for a referral, it should just be a prompt for something they're already doing. So they should be like, man, I had my trainer this morning. I feel so good. Like I've had these results. I love going there, blah, blah, blah. So when you're like, hey, do you know anyone who I could help? They'll be like, oh. And then they'll be like, hey, I was talking to my trainer this morning. You should come in. It shouldn't, you should be so undeniably good at the thing that asking someone to refer you, they feel dumb they haven't already done it. Absolutely. And I've had it done to me where I'll like love something and I'll be like, I can't believe I didn't suggest it to you. Or I'll bring it up and I'll annoy you so much about it. Yeah. You'll be compelled to come along. It's another reason as well why you've got to be very, uh, you've got to be strategic about who your ideal client is, right? If I'm a you know young twenty something, you know young buck, just one, which obviously looking at me, I am um, peak physical peak condition. physical condition. Um, you know, a lot of these young guys who get into to PTing and young girls as well, they just want to train people like them, right? Which the problem with that, especially with the young guys, is the worst clients to have from a referral point of view is young guys. They're not telling anyone shit, right? They're, they're more likely when someone goes, firstly, they're probably not going to get the compliment from a buddy saying like, hey, man, you're looking yoked. But yeah. if they do, they're, they're more likely to go, yeah, it's just my genetics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're, it's almost a negative chance of referral. Yeah. Mums, you can't shut mums up regardless of what your service is like. So you give mums a bad service, they're going to fucking destroy you. I've seen gyms taken down by mums. Uh, but you give mums a good service, they'll turn out with 10 more mums. They'll turn out with 10 more. Like they they are the gold stars. And a lot of a lot of young, you know, especially athletic people who want to compete or, you know, compete in bodybuilding, this kind of stuff, they, they huff and hum about that market segment, you know, about yeah. the, the 35 to 45-year-old mums. Um, just because, you know, I want to teach people how to do high-level, heavy Olympic weightlifting and they can't do that. Cool, man. They can pay your bills. Yeah, you know, they can grow your business. What are you here for? That's such a good point. Um, that I remember I had a PT for a while, my previous trainer, at the gym I was going to. And he was like a bodybuilding guy. He was nice enough that I could tell he'd just shown up to give me this shitty program that he'd pulled off the internet. And that was that. And I like, people like, are they any good? I'm like, eh. Yeah, it's also professional empathy. Yeah, yeah, and he, he sort of didn't care. And then going back to the market you go for, um, don't just because you're a fit twenty something, don't just train people who are like you. Yeah. Figure out the thing you're passionate about and you enjoy, and do that. So mums are a great example as well because mums generally will have disposable income in a lot of situations. Yeah. Young twenty year old dudes just want to spend their money on shirts, women, and drugs. Yeah. So if you want to build a large, scalable business with a repeat clientele, young 20-year-olds aren't a great idea because they're flaky about everything. Yeah. Find you know, strength training for people rehabilitating a knee injury, a, a particular niche, and just niche the shit out of it and be the guy for that. Yeah. And you know, the young people, they, they go to college. You know, they get jobs in another city. They they move on. They're transient. You know, they get a girlfriend. They stop training. Like. Yeah, I, I I used to get this a lot from gyms that were were in transient towns, right? So especially if there was a university or a military facility, and their argument was, we can't keep people because it, it, it there's such high turnover. Sure, a little bit, but 
however many people are at that military base, there's three, four, ten times as many that are supporting them. The barber that cuts their hair, he goes nowhere. The teachers that teach the, that soldier's kids, they go nowhere. Like, there, there's always excuses for, for that kind of a transient, you know, population. Um, but, yeah, you, this, this goes back to are you a business owner who enjoys fitness or are you a trainer who puts up with business, you know? And, and if you're the latter, then don't do this to yourself. Please, I'm... I'm I'm not trying to shit on your dreams, but I've seen what this does to people. I've I've seen, uh, I've seen these businesses fail, and at any scale, maybe you don't have a lot on the line financially, but what it'll do to you emotionally, uh, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, and I think there's no, I don't like that there's this shame around not being a self-employed person in the fitness industry. Right. There's like a shame. I'm just a trainer. Mm. There's. Like business ownership is a specific a specific skill set and risk profile that not everyone has, yep. and that's fine. Just like I'm not a bodybuilder yep. because I don't have those genetics or that determination or that skill set or that body intelligence. Yep. So, if you want to, if your thing is like I want to earn about 80, 90 grand a year, there's other ways that are way easier than owning a business. If I I would be earning way more money if I had a job and wasn't owning businesses. It, I do it because it's the thing that I am born to do. Yeah. So don't feel like you're less worthy or you're you're wrong or you're not doing it properly because you don't want to. You just like some people just aren't into that shit. Yeah. And it goes back to kind of what we started with is people will tell you you need to go out on your own. People will tell you the only way to make money is by by being, no, maybe the only way for you to make money is by going out on your own. Um is it easy to, you know, be a, a six-figure PT without owning your own business no it's not easy but it's six figures what the fuck is yeah. you know what i mean like you know it's 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 a massive industry that is hugely uh saturated you know if you want to find your niche whether as a business owner or uh as a uh, an employee you're gonna have to fight for it and that's the other thing is people think that their passion is going to get them through your passion will, will kill you it's what it'll do you know Passion is what uh, fucked up my martial arts schools. You know, it was the, I wanted to be there till 2 a.m. I loved it. Like loving it is, it's dangerous. And, and I've only ever done, I've been very selfish. I've only ever done passion businesses. Everything I've done in my life, um, you know, I think when I was 14, I uh, like I delivered pamphlets for uh, Pizza Hut or something like that. I think that was the last business I had that I didn't choose, that I didn't want to, you know. So, I get the whole passion business thing, but if you can't control that passion, um, you're, you're, you're going to burn out. Um, if you can't control and manage yourself, your time, your energy, just as you would an employee, you're going to burn out. Um, yeah, and there's some burnouts. You can, you can take a couple of days off and have a little holiday and you're good, and then there's the final burnout that will ruin it. And I think a good way to think about this, and the way I've, I've started thinking about it a lot, is that... Money and time and business generally are just like calories, exercise and recovery, but reversed. So if I, if I come to you and I'm like, hey, I want to I wanna get fitter, I'm going to train three times a day, seven days a week. You will tell me, stop it, you need to rest. So conversely, if you want to start building a business, you can't work. There's points when you have to work a lot, but working for the sake of work will burn you out. So you need, you need, there's nothing wrong. A guy who I deal with a lot was just like, man, I'm burned out. He's like, I'm having five days off. Call me in a week. Yep. 
I was like, okay. That comes from an inherent perspective problem of input versus output. People get too upset, and, and, and it's cultural. You know, it's all of us. It's 40-hour week. Really? Coincidentally, every job can only be done in 40 hours? Wow, that was, that's, a, that's a neat coincidence. Yeah. No, we get obsessed with the input because it's just a lot easier to throw a, a broad input at everybody. You know, oh, you've got to be here from 9 to 5. That's the input. Um, or more input equals more output or better output. No. This is what I need achieved, whether it's by the business as a whole or by individual team members in that business. This is what I need achieved. I don't give a fuck how you achieve it, right? We had a general manager, um, first CrossFit general manager on six figures that I know of. This is back in 2010 um, that was on six figures. She was making more than uh, the rest of us. Um, and uh, you know, we brought her in. We gave her the list of outputs, essentially, her, her roles and responsibilities document. And she said, there's no hours here. And we said, yeah, just do that. I don't care what you do. Uh, and so she got comfortable. We trusted her. She was incredible. I, I, I would have paid a double. Thankfully, she didn't ask. Uh, she was incredible at what she did. And so when she came to us and said, hey, do I need to be in the office, uh, like for all of this? I said, I don't know. Do you? She goes, no, I think I can do some of this, like at the beach or at a cafe. Or I said, yeah, sure. As, as long as it's done, I don't give a shit. So... Be obsessed with the results. Be obsessed with the output um, and, and, and stop, you know, oh, I, like I said, that's what killed me in my 20s. Oh, I, I, and when I say killed me, I want whoever's listening to this, whatever your passion is, wh whether it's something that you're doing as a business now or you want to in the future and, and you love it and it's your passion and you, you go to sleep thinking about it. Um, I went from doing martial arts from the age of four uh, up until, you know, 23, 24 and then from then for about six, seven years, I would get physically nauseous if I saw a, a martial arts school. Uh, it's the reason that I didn't go to Full Metal for so long is because I just I felt sick at the idea of martial arts. It would fuck my day up if I saw a martial arts school because it would just bring back all these negative emotions that I never dealt with because that's what 20-year-old males do is not deal with shit. Um, and it was all because I burnt myself out. It's all because I was obsessed with input, not with output. Yeah. No, it's so, it's so true. Well, I think we might wrap up the chat then, nice and succinct, short. Um, it. If people want to look at your photos online. Uh, Tyarnett Photo, T-Y-E-A-R-N-E-T-T -T Photo on Instagram. Awesome. And thanks for the chat. Appreciate it.